Well, good morning, OneChurch.tv. How you guys doing? Fantastic. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today, this August the 21st. So uh, so glad that you're here. I want to welcome a few people. Uh, if you're a first-time guest with us today, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Uh, we want to continue to create churches that unchurched people love to attend. And uh, that's kind of our big vision of what uh, One Church is all about. And nine years ago, when we started here in the movie theater, uh, we wanted to start reaching some people that nobody else is reaching. Because as you know, 88% of the people here in Clarksville don't go to church anywhere. So if you're a first-time guest, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. If you are a volunteer here, we're not worthy. VIPs, you're a VIP. Volunteers are important people. Can we give it up for our volunteers here? You guys are amazing. we got people doing media and greeting and children's and students and band and, I mean, all kinds of stuff. So thank you so very much for serving. And uh, also, if you're watching us online today, if you're watching us from the overflow, we want to have a huge shout-out. Uh, I did this last week. Let's hear if you're in the overflow. Oh, two of them. That's good. That's good. Okay, cool. You know, the door closed. We can't hear nothing. So anyway, but so glad that you're here hanging out with us today. I am joined by Katie Matthews. Y'all give it up for Katie. We're in the middle of a series entitled, What Would Jesus Say To? And uh, uh, we've looked at what would Jesus say to Bill Cosby. We looked last week at what would Jesus say about race and racism here in America. Next week, it's going to be really fun because we're talking about what would Jesus say to Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Um, so that's not going to be emotionally charged at all. Um, so uh, that'll be fun. Um, whose idea was this? Anyway, um, and but today we're actually uh, talking about what would Jesus say to Caitlyn Jenner. And frankly, this week's might be the most challenging of them all. So, uh, To look at Caitlyn, first we've got to go back and look at Bruce. And you guys heard all this in the bumper, but I worked on memorizing it, so I'm going to say it anyway. Um, Bruce won the Olympic gold medal in the decathlon at the 76 Montreal Olympics. Uh, he was dubbed the world's greatest athlete. He was even on the Wheaties box. Uh, he's been a celebrity figure for years, but more recently he's made headlines for a completely different reason. Last year, he announced to, uh, or shared with Diane Sawyer in an interview, that he was he identified as transgender. He was a woman in a man's body. Um, last year, in July, I believe, he did a Vanity Fair cover story where he announced his name change from Bruce to Caitlin. Um, and last September, that became a reality. And Caitlin is said to be the most famous openly transgender woman in the world, and, and until recently, had her own reality TV series. Um, and this is going to be a tough subject for us as individuals and friends and us as a church and the church as a whole. Um, in 35 minutes, we really can't do it justice, but we're going to do our best. Um, we're going to look at what the Bible says about uh, homosexuality and gender confusion. We're going to look at the church's response and what Jesus would say. Um, but the big favor we ask of you, if, if either one of us upset you, if you feel one of us is too soft or one of us is too hard, that you just stick around and, and you have a conversation with us afterwards. Absolutely. Please have a conversation with us. Uh, I want to say this uh, before we move forward because this is an emotionally charged topic. Uh, I believe our generation, that this generation, needs to bring to an end this awful phenomenon of kids growing up in church who experience same-sex attraction, and when they hit adolescence or whoever, that they feel like they have to leave the church mm -hmm. because this is a taboo subject. 
You know, I believe that the church should be the safest place to talk about anything and everything. Don't you agree? Amen. And this needs, we need to change this culture. We need to change this because I believe that we can figure this out. That from now on going forward, any kid in any church that discover that they're same-sex attracted or are gender confused, that they don't have to leave that we can figure this out. I believe that the church, again, should be the safest place. And I know this also because I've talked to so many people that if they, if they had a choice about the matter, if they could push a button and make all of this same-sex attraction go away, they would do it. They would. Every person I've talked to who's been raised in the church, who is a Christian, who struggled with same-sex attraction, all of them have this idea of an unanswered prayer. Because Christians who struggle with same-sex attraction all deal with the pain of an unanswered prayer, that they've cried out to God, God, please change me, change this desire in me, and for some reason, it didn't happen. They didn't change. Um, and they pleaded for God to take it away, and for some reason, God has not removed that. So today, let me kind of tell you where we're going. Uh, we're going to dig into what the Bible says about this, and then Katie and I are going to have a conversation, and then at the end, Katie is going to talk about an end about what would Jesus say to Caitlyn Jenner. Now, again, I felt the reason why I felt like we need to put Caitlyn in a part of this, this conversation, uh, is, you know, all the, everybody else was kind of, we put around Caitlyn because I, when we were bringing up this idea, what would Jesus say to, I'm like, we've got to talk about this. We've got to talk about this. And here's the reason why, because I've noticed on Facebook, lots of shameful and hurtful comments posted by Christians, Christians, church people. And I've had a lot of people here at OneChurch.tv ask me, Chris, what do you think? So here we are. So let me just say this before we hit our big idea, that being unloving to a gay person in your life is a sin, period. Also, being unloving, it puts a barrier between us and being able to share the love of Jesus. It's the opposite of being Christ-like. And here's our big idea today, that Jesus' command to love your neighbor as yourself does not have an exception clause for an LGBT neighbor or any other neighbor that you struggle with getting along with. Followers of Jesus, we have got to learn how to treat people in the LGBT community. With, to, we should treat them with love, with no limits, and that makes no compromises. And we have to love how Jesus loved. We might learn to love others the way Jesus loved, and I, I think it's just very difficult to do. As I've prepared for this talk today, and I've, and I've been praying and searching the scriptures, I've, let me tell you what I've not found myself wrestling with. I've not found what, what, uh, what, what, there's like, what would Jesus, excuse me, what does the Bible have to say about homosexuality? I've not wrestled with that issue because the Bible is very clear. It says the same thing about homosexuality as it does about greedy people and people who drink too much and people who are wrongdoers. Let me just do a quick informal poll. How many of y'all, you would consider yourself a wrongdoer? You've done something wrong. Okay, good. That should be 100%. By the way, if it's not 100%, we love you. Don't come to this church because we're going to mess you up. All right? Because we are filled with a bunch of wrongdoers. In fact, in two different places in the New Testament, in Romans chapter 1 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we see Paul, the, the guy who wrote these two letters, give a list. And in this list, we're going to see homosexuality listed as a sin. But it's listed in this list as not, you're going to say this, not just, not just the sin. It's a sin among many sins. This is what it says. Or do you not know that wrongdoers, how many of y'all are wrongdoer? All of us. Will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now that's kind of a bummer. 
Right? If I stop right there and just say, everybody go home, you would like, uh, that's not helpful at all. It's not hopeful, nothing. Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, let's define that. People who struggle with pornography. If you're a guy who struggles with taking a second look. If you have freaky stuff in the, going through your head. Um, whatever that is. Uh, or if you worship idols. Or some of you are like, I don't worship idols. But if you put anything before your relationship with Jesus... That's an idol. Let me say this. Let me define it this way. If you, you know, God says, I want you to give X, you know, X percentage, 10% to me. And if you're giving 10, you know, other percentage elsewhere, but not giving it to God, that's an idol. All right. That's a bummer because I've been, I've been part of there. Uh, or if you've committed adultery, and again, we're not going to ask anybody to raise any hands, but many of us in here, you've, you felt the sting and the pain of adultery or prostitutes. Again, not going to raise any hands or practice homosexuality or are thieves. Let's raise How many of y'all have you ever taken something that wasn't yours, either accidentally or on purpose? Let me see your hands. All right. Or greedy people. How many of y'all want some more money? Right. All right. All right. I think that's all of us or drunkards. You've ever been drunk or abusive or cheat people, none of these people will inherit the kingdom of God. That makes you feel real good, doesn't it? <laughs> Not I at love all. It. Um, that's quite a list. But if we're going to be honest, it includes every person in this room. We can all say I'm one, two, three, or even some of us were four of those things. Um, but before we go any further, I want us to realize that Yes, we're all on that list, but it's not a new thing. Uh, one thing I wish the church would realize is that these verses were written to the church. That's right. A lot of times in our culture, in this issue, we make it a us against them. We use these verses to attack others who are different than us. Paul was writing to the church in Corinth. Scripture was meant for the body of Christ. That's us. We don't use it to attack others. It was meant to correct and to guide us. That's right. Uh, and so the church struggled with sexuality, including homosexuality and gender identity. This was written to the church. Um, Jesus would say homosexuality is a sin. And I want to say, if you're in this room and you're LGBT, and that's a painful sentence to hear, I want you to know that at one time it was a painful sentence for me to say. But I can say it with you. And because what we're going to talk about later, now it's easy for me to say. But we want to take a moment to acknowledge that that is a painful sentence. But it is a reality according to Scripture. Um, It's a sin, but it's not the sin. The church over the years... We get loud against sins we don't struggle with. Um, and even straight sexual sin gets a free pass. You know, if it's something familiar to us, oh, you know, they fell, get back up, that a boy. But if they're different, they've got to go. That mentality, we really need to stop that. That's right. But the most powerful thing about these scripture isn't where we're down and out. It's where Jesus is up and righteous. And it's in the next verse. And then Paul, Paul writes, and that's where some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You see, it's an identity issue. When you look at yourself, do you see yourself as a drunk, abusive, uh, homosexual, wrongdoer, any of that stuff? Or do you see yourself as sanctified and justified in what Paul says God says you are? You know, we have the stuff going on in our life, and then but God intervenes, and then we're something else. Are you before the but God, or are you after but God? Um... The real issue that the church struggles with and Christians wrestle with and since the beginning, who is the church for? Who gets to participate? Who has to leave their baggage at the door? Which just sounds crazy because Christ is the ultimate healer. We want to bring you to the healer, but, but no, leave all this here at the door and then you could come in. You should be able to bring your baggage to the feet of Jesus. And that is in his church. Um, we ask ourselves, can someone participate if they're still in the middle of a struggle? 
The Bible's clear that we're all sinners and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And if we accept that as truth, then we need to ask ourselves, how did Jesus deal with sinners? That's a good question. How did Jesus deal with sinners? How did Jesus treat sinners? Well, if you think about it, Jesus dealt with everyone with grace and truth. Can you say that with me? Grace and truth. One more time. You see, in the Gospel of John, which was written by John, John was with Jesus throughout his three and a half years of, of ministry. And Jesus died, uh, he was buried, he, was, he rose, a grave, rose from a grave, and then Jesus ascended into heaven. And then Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're writing these stories of Jesus and kind of their times with them and all of this stuff. And then John is kind of waiting. And John is it's getting to the end of John's life. It's about 100 AD. It's about 70 years after uh, Jesus went up into heaven, after he, was, uh, he rose again. And he says, you know what, I, I really want to be able to tell the story of Jesus from a different perspective. So he starts to say, okay, how, how, do I, how am I going to, and he starts wrestling, how am I going to talk about the story of God? And as he's wrestling with this, how do I start the story of Jesus? In John chapter 1, he chooses his words very, very carefully. He gives us his synopsis of his experience with Jesus of the woman at the well and the woman caught in adultery. So John comes up to this extraordinary picture. And in John chapter 1, verse 14, he says this, The Word, talking about Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. In the message, it says this, that the Word moved into the neighborhood. And I like that, right? He just moved into our neighborhood. And something that you said, uh, first service, is that all, all of us are sinners and we're kind of down here and Jesus is up here. Jesus actually came down and became a part of us. He, was, he had no sin, but he says, I'm going to hang out with you. So keep on reading. He became flesh and blood and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. And look at these next few words. What is it? Full of what? Grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. And jump down to verse 17. For the law was given, the Torah was given through Moses, the Ten Commandments, what's right and wrong. That's important. But grace and truth, let me hear you say it. Grace and truth came through who? Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who himself is God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. John says, when I think about my time with Jesus, Jesus dealt with people with grace and truth. And Jesus dealt with people not just with truth and not just with grace. Jesus wasn't like the balance of grace and truth. You know, that's kind of how you and I in the church tries to be. We try to, okay, we're going to be fair here, we're going to be fair here. And Jesus says, you know, I didn't come to be fair. I came to be 100% grace and 100% truth. And Jesus didn't grow around, you know, saying, okay, everybody, you know, we're not going to talk about sin and let's just all be happy and hold hands and let's sing kumbaya. He didn't do that. And Jesus didn't, uh, th- you know, pull the tr- a pin of a truth grenade and lob these truth grenades and, every, you know, things blow up. And he's going, sorry, that's just truth. You know, he didn't pull a trump. Uh, did I say that out loud? I shouldn't have said that. Anyway, I mean, it, you know, it's just, it's just he, he was the balance He wasn't the balance of grace and truth. He was 100% grace and 100% truth. And get this, as the body of Christ, which is what the local church is supposed to be, we have to learn to embody grace and truth. And that's a powerful tension to manage. Because, you know, so many times it's easy just to create truth churches. And we're going to preach the Bible no matter what. And we don't care who's offended. 
Or it's easier maybe even to just have grace churches. Well, you know, we're not even going to talk about the Bible, and let's just, let's just sing, and let's talk about feelings. Feelings. Anyway, all right. <laughs> that was awkward. I apologize. Uh, uh, you think about Jesus. Jesus, six times in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus raised the bar morally. Six different times on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus quotes from the Old Testament, and then he says, okay, you've heard the Old Testament say this, but I say this. He says this, you've heard that the Torah, the Old Testament say you should not commit adultery, but I tell you, if you even look at a woman in your heart lustfully, you've already committed adultery. Jesus raised the bar. Another time, Jesus says, okay, you know, you've heard it said you need to, to love your friends and hate your enemies, but I tell you that you are to love your enemies and even pray for those who persecute you. Jesus raised the bar morally. Jesus says this, thou shalt not kill. You've heard what the Torah says, thou shalt not kill. But Jesus says, but I tell you, if you even get mad at somebody, you've already killed them in your heart. He raised the bar morally. Jesus six times elevates the standard so high that nobody could possibly attain it. Jesus raised the standard so high that everybody walked away thinking, well, if that's the way it is, then we're all doomed. And Jesus says, you're right, and now I'm going to die for all the doomed people. Jesus died for everyone. He raised the standard so high so that everyone falls short. In fact, even Paul wrote that everyone falls short of the glory of God, that everyone is sinned. And then Jesus says, now I'm going to die for all of the fall short people. You see, Jesus, he says, you've got to realize everybody's a sinner. Everyone. And he dies for everyone. Jesus, I love this. Jesus never dumbed down the truth. And Jesus never turned down the grace. Jesus never dumbed down the truth. He always kept the truth high. And Jesus never turned down the grace. John had seen this model firsthand. And the one I'd really like to share with you is the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. You have this woman who's caught in adultery, and the law, the Torah, Moses says, you should stone her. You should not only stone her, but also the man if they're committing adultery. That's the standard. So they catch this woman caught in the very act. I mean, think how inappropriate that looks. And must, I mean, I mean, they drag her out of the home. Where's the guy? Nobody knows. So this is probably a setup by the religious people, the Pharisees. So th- this woman caught in adultery, she's probably maybe grabbed a bed, sh- bed sheet, maybe not, and she's thrown in front of Jesus in the middle of the temple as Jesus is teaching, and they say, the, the law of Moses says we should kill her. What did you say, Jesus? And it was a trap. So Jesus said this. Okay, here's the thing. Any of you, if you don't have any sin, if none of you are wrongdoers, you be the first to cast your stone. you be the first to kill her. And then he went down and he wrote in the sand. And the Bible says in John chapter 8 that from the oldest to the youngest, they started dropping their rocks and walking away. Eventually, where it's only the woman caught in adultery and Jesus. And then Jesus says this. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't anyone, even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, then I don't condemn you either. Now leave your life of sin. Translation, you're a sinner. What you did is a sin. It was wrong, but I don't condemn you. I'm not going to give you what you deserve. I'm going to give you grace. 
When releasing the woman caught in adultery, Jesus, he, he, he was able to express truth and grace. And I love that. And, I, you know, so many times we, we live in that tension of like, oh, we don't want to be too grace and too truth. Because sometimes if you're too grace, it looks like you condone sin. If you're too truth, then, you know, it looks like you're a hypocrite. Cause there's no, I mean, but let me tell you where the tension is. Love is the tension between grace and truth. And let's just be honest. The church over the past 2,000 years, really doesn't have a really good track history of love, do we? Love is the tension between grace and truth. And what I mean by this is you have a person in your life who's involved in some activities, and you love them, but some activities that are really harmful to them. If you really love them, what are you going to do? You see, if you really love them, you're going to talk to them about it. You're going to have to confront them about it. And no, you're not going to enjoy it and no, it's not any fun. But if you truly love them, you're going to hem and haw and stutter and spit around. But eventually you're going to say, you know what? I don't think you're on the right path. That you love them. You love them. In Jesus, there was no conflict between grace and truth. And, you know, when you think about the church, for most of us, including myself, I grew up in the church where the church was kind of for church people. And it was all about the truth, the truth, the truth. And we got to, you know, it's all, and, and we just lob these truth grenades, and we don't care who's hurt. But think about this. The, the average church, the church that I grew up in, had this mentality that if you behaved like us, if you behaved like a church person, and if you believed like us, then and only then you could belong. In fact, that's going to be up on the screen. If you behave like us, then you can believe like us, then you can belong. And here's the problem with that. Jesus never, ever modeled that. The problem with this approach is that it wasn't Jesus' approach. And to be quite honest, this approach of behave, believe, and then belong is impossible because we can't expect people who don't know Jesus to act like Christians. You hear what I'm saying, guys? So many times we, we, we have a tendency to judge people who don't go to church and we hold them to our standard when Jesus, Jesus says, no, 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 you got that wrong. You are to, you, you're to hold yourself to Christ's standard inside the church. Uh, and those people outside the church, you don't worry about them. That's what Paul wrote. Think about it like this. When Jesus asked his followers to follow him, he called unbelievers and misbehaviors alike. The original 12 disciples, they didn't act like the church. They were some of the biggest sinners you could find of that day. They were thieves. They were liars. They were tax collectors. But they followed Jesus because he was different. He spoke with authority. He loved them. He fed them. He also didn't give them a behavioral test. They didn't have to act a certain way. They didn't have to do a certain thing. They followed Jesus because they felt like they belonged with Jesus. Jesus welcomed them no matter what road they were walking, no matter what they were doing. The church is called to allow people to belong. The church is for everybody. Sinners and religious people, good and bad, we must first allow people to belong. And then when they're a part of us, their beliefs start to change. And if what you believe starts to change, the way you act starts to change, the way your behavior starts to change. We first have to allow people to belong, let their beliefs start to change, and then their actions come later. We need to switch all that around. Believe, or belong, believe, behave. And that's kind of your story, isn't it, Katie? Yeah, pretty much, um, exactly. I am same-sex attracted, and I do live a celibate lifestyle. It's a way that I get to honor God. It's not something I have to do. It's something that I get to do. Um, I knew at a very young age that I was same-sex attracted. I didn't have words for it. I didn't know what to call for it, but I knew before I knew what sex was that I was different. Um, I spent time in the local church. Um, in fact, some of my family members still go to this church to the day, uh, to this day. Um, growing up in a 
that gay in the South is a very difficult thing to do. You're told what God thinks about you. You're told where you're going. Um, this disconnect, what I knew to be true about myself was very different than what my family was telling me, what the church was telling me, and what Sunday Christians were telling me. Um, it created huge insecurities in me and a huge identity issue. Uh, to the point, um, I ignored it for a long time. Um, I tried to be straight for several years. Um, and then there were several times in my life where I've contemplated or thought about suicide and even a few times where I've actually tried. Um, and that is a very real picture of what it looks like to grow up LGBT in any relation to the church. The worst things that I have ever heard to this day are from my own family, my parents, and the church. Um, and around the age of 25, I was going through a, a terrible breakup, the closest I could get to a divorce. Um, and there was a void in my life. And I knew that the answer was church and God, and I was angry about it because people like me and Caitlyn Jenner don't belong in church. I don't belong right here, according to most churches. Uh, and that was a hard thing. I had a problem. I knew the answer, but the answer felt like more of a problem. How am I supposed to go to church? How am I supposed to talk to Jesus when Jesus hates me and I'm going to hell? Uh, it was a really hard thing to deal with. In fact, I was terrified. Uh, I was afraid of two things. One, the tattoos. Um, and then the other being gay. And so I messaged a friend that goes here that's heavily tattooed. It's like, solves one of my problems. I'll just keep my mouth shut about the other. <laughs> um, so I showed up. Um, and I really, I liked it. Uh, I felt more at home in that high school and, and with these people than I've ever felt in my own home. And that's true today. Um, Sunday morning is home for me. Um, and... Uh, they, uh, I'd asked a few times, texting in, like you guys are texting in now, um, how they felt about sexuality, and they never answered, and I was kind of glad for it. Um, I didn't want to know the answer. I didn't want to lose the church home that I had. I didn't want to lose the family God had given me. Um, and then we did a question and answer sermon, and I thought I'd just, I'd ask again, and I don't regret it, but I did. Um, Patrick, they didn't answer it from stage, but Patrick at the end of it said that they would answer every single question. I thought, oh. Oh, I almost tell you what I really thought. I can't do it here. I thought, oh, heck. Uh, <laughs> what have I just done? I've potentially cost myself my church home. Like, um, what if I don't like the answer? What if they didn't even like the question? And uh, I left for a little, uh, no, let me back up. So I get the text that they've answered the question. It was Patrick. And at the time, he didn't know if I was male, female, who I was. And he said that it was the most difficult question they got and that they were thankful and that all the answers were posted online. I checked it while I was at work because I couldn't wait till I got home. And I hated the answer, but it's a totally different story. And if you buy me lunch, I will tell you that story. Um, so I quit coming for a little while, and Patrick sent me a text. He wanted to do his whole coffee thing. I'm sure you've been coffeed by Patrick before. And if you haven't, you should. It's free. Uh, so we talked, and I went. And I was going in there with In fact, I hid it from the partner that I had at the time that we were in the middle of this break. It was the most drawn-out breakup of my life. And I hid it from from her because I was afraid to tell her I was going to talk to a pastor. That's how much it hurts us. And it would have hurt her that I was going to talk to a pastor, regardless of what about was what it was about. And I was going in there with the intention. I wanted Patrick to know that it wasn't a choice, that I was born this way, and that I'd change it if I could. And I wanted to know how much it hurts and how much of a burden it is. And I wasn't going to be rude or anything like that. I just needed him to know, and I don't know why. And he completely flipped it uh, Patrick didn't want to talk about the issues, not in a way to avoid the issue, but he wanted to get to know me as a person. It was person-centered ministry, not issue-focused. 
and the church has it backwards. But Patrick really did it well, and he taught me how to do it in that moment. I felt like a person. I didn't feel like an issue. Um, and so shortly after that, I ended up getting involved in small group, which is really terrifying for me, and we're going to push that fear on you in a little bit later in the sermon. Um, I don't like sharing personal information, so this is, this is really fun for me. Um, <laughs> And so I thought, well, I've got to go there, and I've got to tell these people about my life. But I can see God working in my life for years. I knew Luther when I was a kid through soccer, and so I felt somewhat comfortable going to his house. And through that, uh, I found my siblings. I found my best friend. God gave me a bigger and better family and community than I ever could have imagined on my own, and I never would have found it on my own. Um, and so and some of them are here today, uh, but they really are my brothers and sisters, and they're my brothers and sisters in Christ, and they helped me walk that path. But they never claimed to know what I was going through exactly. There are very few people in this audience that could probably know exactly what I'm going through. And, and the people I'm talking about, they have no clue. But they were like, I'm here. I love you. You can talk about it. It's a little uncomfortable. It's weird. But I'll listen. Um, and that's what they did. And they loved me. And they loved me well. And I felt like I belonged. And there was one night um, in my apartment where I broke down in tears, like ugly girl tears. I don't know if you've ever seen Miranda Byer cry, but it was that ugly. Uh, <laughs> And uh, I asked God, why would he make me gay if it's not okay? And I instantly, when I finished, I don't even think I said it out loud, but when I finished the question, I felt the peace of God. And not the calmness of this world where you, like, you have your first coffee in the morning. I felt the fruit of the Spirit. I felt the peace of God. And uh, I felt God say to me that I was created with a purpose as part of a plan put in motion long ago. Now, I can't remember anything, but I can remember that one sentence. I forgot half the sermon, by the way. Um, but I knew at that moment that God was with me and God was for me. I didn't know what plan. I didn't know what purpose. But I knew Jesus. And that was all that mattered. And it was because this community made me feel like I belonged. No one ever told me I had to act a certain way. No one ever told me I had to stop doing anything. They just walked with me. And they loved me. So me and Jesus could figure it out. And they, the church did what the church should do. So God could do only what God can do in my life. <coughs> And then let me say this. One of the things that uh, about 2014, uh, we were doing this What Would Jesus Say uh, series back then. And um, uh, it got to the point where one of the people we were talking about was What Would Jesus Say to Ellen DeGeneres? And uh, uh, I was really uh, concerned about preaching this message. I got to be honest with you, because, uh, you know, up to that point, um, you know, again, I, I, you know, 20 years ago, I'd have been one of those persons who just thrown the truth grenade. That's what the Bible says. But I also knew what, how this was going to impact Katie, how it was going to impact her relationship with the church. And, and uh, I remember writing the sermon out and sending her the sermon and saying, I'd love to know what you think. And, and, and it caused some discussion. I remember one thing she told me, and she says, Chris, one of the things that frustrates me about you is that you're always too nice. You're too politically correct. And I, and, and I remember, I, I remember, I said, you know, I'm not trying to do that. It's just I, I know I don't want to harm you. I know what the Bible says, but I also want to make sure that we, the tension of grace and truth is love. You know, and, and we had a great conversation. One of the disagreeing uh, facts we had was she had this saying, well, I believe God made me this way. God made me gay. And I, I was like, yeah, I don't know if I, I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. And we were kind of hmm. in this dialogue. So, uh, but I'll, I'll let you continue. Um, because the church did their job, God was able to work in my life. And um, I no longer believe that God made me this way. We both agree that I was born this way. But it's a result of the fall. We were all born sinners. It's just my sin and Chris's sin are completely different. And we don't even just have these two big things. Right. But like, there are different things. Um, so we both agree that I was born this way. 
but God has no part in sin. And because community loved me so well, I was able to get uh, to some points where I could make some, some personal decisions. Um, sorry. Um, I do, um, I remember the day that I decided that I believe parts of the Bible, and I, as a Christ follower, I believe that Jesus was born, Jesus lived, Jesus died for my sins. I believe he rose again. And if I believe that to be true, I need to believe everything else to be true. And so I decided to to commit my life and, and to follow Jesus and to, to lay that down. And the song we sang today has a really special meaning for me. Uh, we were singing that. I don't remember what the series was. We were still at the high school. And um, it wasn't the follow series. But Chris was talking about when Jesus was with disciples. Well, if you're not following me, who are you following? And the song was Christ is Enough. I decided to follow Jesus. There's no going back. And uh, I take notes. I listen. But I rarely interact with the sermons on the spot. And I am thinking, do I want my old life back? No, I kind of like my life. Well, would I want to do that again? No. I've decided to follow Jesus. There's no going back. I'd like to ask you guys, what is that in your personal life? What do you need to decide to follow God and just not look back? Um, and it hasn't been a painful thing at all. Um, Chris, while trying to love me, has somewhat made it a painful thing. Chris kind of, in just a loving, admiring way, he's like, well, I, you focus on what I've lost or what I've given up. Like, you know, you've given up a spouse or you've given up this. And we read a book to, together to prepare for this, and the guy talks about celibacy. We need to acknowledge the loss. And, you know, you give up physical intimacy, you give up a spouse, you give up all these things. It was depressing. And I don't know if it's a defense mechanism or what, but I've never thought about what I've lost or what I'm giving up. I've only ever thought about what I've gained. Mm-hmm. My worst day with Jesus is better than my best day with a lover. And that's something I want for you guys and I want for the LGBT community as a whole. Um, I got to a point where I was able to send Chris a text message. Uh, I know that God has called me to a life of ministry, and I don't know exactly how it looks yet. But I know that I need to be celibate regardless if I'm going to be a Christ follower, but especially in that role. And so I wanted to send Chris an update on my life. And uh, I said, you got it up here? Yeah. um. I sent a text, Pastor Chris. I said, I think some things in the Bible are vague for faith purposes. For example, having the faith of a child. And I told him, I won't tell you everything. See, I really don't like telling people things. But marriage is too important for blurred lines. Scripture is clear that marriage is between a man and a woman, and since dating leads to marriage, there's no point in it for me. I have, however, come to agree with you that, yes, I'm born this way, but God didn't make me this way. He has no part in sin. I'm more inclined to believe it be a part of the fall of humanity, and I got the short end of the stick. But that's not a bad thing at all. I get to be married to the cross in a way that my married friends aren't. Chris and Kim, for example, they are a picture of what Jesus in the church looks like. You love each other, you serve each other, you get to, you represent Jesus in the church with your spouse. I get to do it from a completely different way, and one isn't less than the other. I get to serve more, I get to study more, and I will, throughout my life, if I stay on the track I'm on, I will be called Miss Katie by thousands of kids on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. And that's my trade-off, and it's worth it. Uh, and I get to be an example for others. And in a lot of ways, it's a burden, but it's really humbling. And I get to be the example of, I'm hurting, and I'm hurting with something really big. But Jesus is bigger than my pain. And regardless of anyone's situation or age, I get to tell them, this, this is who healed me. This is who holds my heart near and dear. I get to tell gay people that Jesus really isn't the weapon against you. He's the solution. Which, because what we've done as a church is ridiculously hard. And people who don't understand homosexuality... I get to remind them, even though we sin differently, we repent the same. I led senior girls a couple years ago in Remix, and uh, 
that's our youth service. And one of the the way I chose to lead, you know, it's very, um, you're kind of not going to open up and share unless someone else does it for you. And so the attitude I had as a leader, I will take the bandages off my wounds if it helps you heal. Now, I'm okay in this topic. Two years ago, when the Ellen thing, I, was, I wasn't. But if I can talk to him about my pain and show you who my healer was, Jesus is bigger than my pain. And that's really what I want us to focus on. Mm. You know, one of the things that we, as we've been kind of talking through this, our, our elders, our leadership has been talking about, you know, what should, how should the church react? What, should, what would Jesus do? Um, and through all of this. And uh, about a year, year and a half ago, we started having this dialogue. In fact, a good friend of me about two, two and a half years ago gave me a book says, we really need to read this uh, uh, with our leadership. And we did. And we were kind of uh, going back and forth through this. And one of the things that I, as, as I was talking uh, with our leadership is, imagine, uh, let's take homosexuality off the, off the table, but let's just say whatever you're struggling with, um, it, would you be open enough to be able to let everybody in th- of your struggle? I mean, most of us, you know, the, the average statistic is 60% of men struggle with pornography. Uh, and, of course, I know women struggle as well. But, w- guys, we just don't talk about that. And because we don't talk about it, it, you know, we just we're accepted and we can do whatever. But it's on this issue that Katie said, you know what, if I'm going to honor God, then I'm going to say no uh, to romantic involvement, and I'm going to say yes to Jesus. And I wonder, for us who are, aren't homosexual, maybe heterosexuals, would we have the courage to say, if God came out to say, you know what, I want you to honor God enough so that you would never, ever be sexually intimate ever again. Would we ever say yes to that? I dare say that most of us probably say, no, that's crazy. But let me tell you, we have in front of you, Katie is a woman of God, who struggles, different struggles than many of us. But it, just as she said, even though we all sin differently, we all repent the same. So I want to just give us four different principles, and then Katie's going to close on what would Jesus say to Caitlin Jenner. First, uh, we have to allow people to belong first, then to believe in Christ, and then for that belief to change their behaviors. We've got to stop doing what the average traditional church is doing, of you've got to act like us, you've got to believe like us, and then you can become a part of our country club. That's jacked up. Okay? So we allow it. If we're going to clap, I'm going to clap. So that you, we will allow anybody to be a part of the church. Anybody. And I know that, that comes with that degrees of messiness. I get that. But the, G, Jesus did no differently. And Jesus did, he was, he was in full embodiment of grace and truth. Second, we must distinguish between theology and ministry. What is theology? Theology is just simply what we believe. Ministry is what we do for others as a result of what we believe. Okay? we got to separate the two because the reason why we have to separate it is this. If we don't see a difference between theology and ministry, then out of fear of compromising theologically, we won't be able to minister to certain groups of people. And that just isn't right. Jesus distinguished between theology and ministry, and it drove the religious Pharisees crazy. It did. Jesus, how can you go to a person like Matthew who's a tax collector and not just hang out at his house but eat with him, and yet you still claim to be the Son of God? You see, Jesus, he had perfect theology, but his theology did not keep him from ministering and loving everybody. And let me say this. If your theology, if your belief system keeps you from loving everybody, then your belief system needs to change. 
if, if your theology keeps you from loving everybody, then what you're saying is that you have a higher th- theological standard than Jesus Christ did. And let me say, nay, nay. <laughs> you don't. All right? And think about this. So many of us, we're worried about, well, if we allow people to belong, then that means we're condoning whatever they do. No, it doesn't. Hear me. This whole guilt by association. Do you know that if Jesus had been worried about guilt by association, he would have stayed in heaven? But you know what my Jesus did? He came down to this earth and he says, I'm not only going to hang out at your house, I'm going to befriend you, and I'm even going to die for you. So uh, he, he was willing, and, and even while we were yet sinners, Romans 5, 8, Christ died for us. Third, we must understand the difference between acceptance and approval. God calls us to accept everybody, but that doesn't mean we have to approve of everything that they do. We can love the person, but we don't have to approve of what they're doing. And lastly, we have to be okay with the tension of grace and truth. And remember, the tension of grace and truth, where is that? That is found as love. We have to show love to the LGBT community. We have to show love to everybody. So that brings us to the end. What would Jesus say to Caitlyn Jenner? And Kate's going to answer this. And she's going to answer this because she actually, you did a Facebook post on this a while back. So she's just going to read some of her Facebook posts. So please go ahead. God isn't mad at Caitlyn Jenner. God is for Caitlyn Jenner. I think Jesus would tell Caitlyn Jenner, I'm sorry. I'm sorry my church has represented me so poorly. I'm sorry you've been hurt, and I'm sorry you're struggling. I know that you're searching for who you are, and I know that you have been for a long time. Jenner never felt at rest with himself. He always felt like he was a woman in a man's body. So he came to the conclusion that if I change something on the outside, it'll fix what's going on on the inside. And Jesus would say, that's not right. I need you to flip that around. There's a deep internal struggle with you, and it's an identity issue. Any external changes you make can't fix the deep internal struggle you're having. Caitlin, there's a hole in you, a hole that only I can fill. I love you, and I made you. John 3.16 tells us that for God so loved the world that whosoever loves him shall not perish but have eternal life. Caitlin, I love you enough to die for you, and I want you to be a whosoever. This is church. What should our response be? First, I believe Jenner deserves compassion. I partially understand where he comes from as our struggles are lumped into one category while being completely different. We struggle with wholeness, finding identity. What he knows to be true about himself doesn't match up with what other people are saying. I think he's searching for happiness and self and wholeness, and I think his change to have better emotional health is superficial at best. That transition is hard, and criticism on that scale is unimaginable. We've all shot in what we think about it, but we really don't know what it's like to deal with something so publicly. That's right. I think, he, I think Jenner struggles with depression. He always will, just with a new first name. I think Jenner is searching for things that can only be found in Jesus Christ. We aren't promised easy lives. We're promised a Savior. I believe that Jenner's felt different his entire life leading up to her and will still feel different being her. I don't believe in praying things like this away, and I don't think therapies help either. I think it makes things worse. What I do believe is that Jenner was made in the image of God, and by changing himself into Caitlin, he's making an idol of himself rather than God. Any physical changes he's making will bring temporary happiness at best. His struggle was real, and her struggle is real. He needs to find acceptance, and it's misplaced, and it's partially our fault. Sinners found acceptance at the feet of Jesus Christ. We represent Jesus Christ. 
Sinners need to find acceptance with us. We should do everything better than the secular world. We should be more loving, more embracing, more accepting. Sinners need to find well, uh, need to find they need to find rest with us. People like me and Caitlin need to find rest with us. Two years ago, I couldn't say this stuff. We forgive others because God forgave us. We love others because God loved us. We need to make others feel like they belong because Jesus Christ made us feel like we belong with him. So we'd like to challenge you guys today online. Think about who made you feel like you belonged. Who invited you to church? Who welcomed you? Who showed you what community was really about? Thank them publicly and think about who you need to make make feel like they belong. And actually do it. Jesus did it for you. It wasn't a gift for you. It was a tool for you to glorify God. Absolutely. Guys, uh, I am so grateful uh, for Katie. Uh, and uh, Katie actually is, she's taught two out of, out of my three children. Um, she is a good example of, she, I mean, even though she has her struggles, just like I do, um, you're a good teacher. And uh, I think she has taught us well. Do you agree today? Our challenge to you is uh, is not to be the whole behave, believe, belong. We're challenging you today as you leave to belong, to get a part of a community group. To, that'll change your life. Luther, I mean, you've been a part of Luther's group, and you said that was instrumental, those Luther, relationships you had. Knowing Luther Ramsey's traumatic. <laughs> <laughs> It'll change your life. Uh, but, but let me say this. Luther's group is open today. I mean, you guys can go into the young, hot singles. If you're young and you're single, or if you're single and you're hot, but you're not young, as long as you're two out of the three, I think you're welcome. Um, right? Uh, so, I left. <laughs> so anyway, um, but I would encourage you, get into a group where you can belong. We have Sunday night groups. We have couples groups on Tuesday nights and Thursday nights. We've got just men's groups. We've just got women groups. But do not leave this place without finding a place where you can belong. I love what we do on Sunday mornings, but I believe that if you get involved in a community group, you will grow further faster. And can I just say this? Your kids are in a small group right now. Your kids are doing it. And if you're not, you need to follow your kids' example. Bam. Drop the mic. Let's pray. All right. (laughs) Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. I thank you so much, Lord, uh, for allowing us to be able to talk about this very difficult subject, God. Uh, Lord, um, I don't know what Caitlin's going through, uh, Lord, but I do pray for her. Uh, Lord, I know she's been to church, and uh, uh, and I just pray, Lord, that uh, your love and your grace would just be able to permeate heart, her heart, uh, Lord, and that uh, she would just, if she does not know you, that she would come into a saving relationship with you, Jesus Christ, that only comes through the death of your son and believing in that, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for all of us as we leave, Lord, that you would, the challenge, Lord, that we would belong somewhere so that when the slats get kicked out of our life, Lord, that we have a group of people that can hang out with us and that can encourage us, Lord. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.